So a doctor is having a conversation with one of his patients and he says, hey, the uh, health fair blood test indicates that you're high in a few categories. So we need to have a conversation. You, you know what that means? It means that you're on the road to diabetes. Uh, the patient says, is that bad? And the doctor then explains that the results of diabetes in your life can be problems with kidneys and eyes and gums and feet and nerves, damage to small and large blood vessels, heart attack, stroke, even death. But there's good news, the doctor says. It doesn't have to be that way. And at this point, you still have a choice. Well, then the patient says, I choose not to have it. Well, it doesn't really work that way, the doctor says. It's not quite that easy. You will have to make some changes in your life. You will have to start exercising and develop healthier eating habits. Because if you continue to the path, down the path that you're on right now, you will develop diabetes. You're at a fork in the road. You have a decision to make right now. What are you going to do? Now, part of you, you may be thinking, well, we must be talking about gluttony today. No, we're not talking about gluttony today as one of the seven deadly sins. We're talking about apathy today. Now, how does this uh, illustration apply to apathy? The reason it fits with diabetes is because apathy is an attitude to continue on doing what you're currently doing. Uh, you're at a fork in the road, and we will always drift in the direction of apathy. But if today you determine to make some changes in your life, uh, some changes to the inputs and the outputs, you can avoid that outcome. And that's the reality of, of where we sit today. And this reality applies actually to every aspect of our life. We're, we're looking at the seven respectable sins of the West. That's what we're calling it. And this idea comes from a list that, that was compiled by a monk many different years ago from different scriptures titled the seven deadly sins. That was then picked up by St. Thomas of Aquinas and the list kind of became famous. And we're combining that with the title of a book that we're using in our Bible study series right now. And that Bible study book is called Respectable Sins. It's written by Jerry Bridges. And we're applying all of these things to the current culture that we're living in. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about busyness. And I've been hearing from a lot of people how that was a challenging message, how they, they really have been living a busy life. Their priorities haven't been right. Whew. Their priorities haven't been in the right place, and, and uh, they need to put the big rocks in their life first. They need to have priority, uh, priorities in their life. Uh, then last week, we, we took a look at the subject of entitlement, and we saw how we are all seriously entitled, though we like to point to younger generations as being that. We, we don't point our fingers to ourselves, but but we really are. We, we need challenged in a lot of areas in, in regards to need and want and God's provision and what we deserve, uh, what we really deserve and what we don't. Uh, and gratefulness is so much an important part of, of that subject. Busyness, entitlement, acceptable or respectable sin. Now, I know I have tendencies toward these. Uh, we all do in the affluent, blessed, free country that we live in. 
um, we can begin to believe that we deserve certain things. But this is where apathy can come in. This is where apathy kills. Um, Because if we are apathetic about the changes that our doctors want us to make, it could kill us. Diabetes is dangerous. If left alone. And we... You may end up with that decision someday, right? Uh, Many of you have already made that decision. And the enemy doesn't want us to recognize how dangerous apathy can be. The enemy wants us to think it's sort of this little cuddly, fuzzy thing that we kind of throw out excuses on on occasion. You know, I'm I'm really busy. You know, um, I'm just really busy. We're in a season right now, and I just don't have time to to read my Bible. I don't... I'm just not finding the time to, to spend time in prayer. The, 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 the enemy wants us to be there. The enemy wants us to think, well, it's just the summer. You know, the summer is just, it's just the way it is. You know, it's, it's the way it is in my life and it's the way it is in, in our world. And we don't realize that it will kill us and destroy our faith. It will destroy our intimacy with Jesus Christ. And then we will get to the end of our life and we'll look back and we'll realize I did nothing of eternal significance. I only lived for myself, but I didn't realize it. And and I'm hoping that in this series we can realize it, that we can be storing up treasures in heaven. And today we, we tackle apathy of the spiritual kind, spiritual apathy. Now, if we break the word apathy down... Uh, etymologically, this is what we see. It starts with the letter A, which, which is not or without. That, that's what that means. And then pathy comes from pathos, which means suffering or passion. So basically, uh, apathy means without suffering. Apathy means without suffering. Like, I want to go through life and I want to avoid struggle and difficulty in my life, so I'm not going to make that hard decision. I'm always going to go the easy route. I'm always going to go the path of least resistance. Um, if it's hard for me to share my faith, I'm not going to do it because that's the easiest thing to do. If I can't seem to fit in reading my Bible every day, I'm just not going to. I'm not going to make an effort to change that because that's the easiest thing for me to do. And that is why we are surrounded by weak Christians. That is why we end up with chair warmers and church goers, not believers, not followers in Christ, not disciples of Jesus. You see, we, in our world today, we can't afford to be spiritually weak. It will, it will kill us. We have an enemy who is out there, we're told, we know is out there to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and we have got to pay attention. Or he will slip in among the sheep and we'll be gone before you know it. You see, we can't, uh, uh, we don't want to suffer, but our suffering is really what forges our faith. Our suffering is really what strengthens us. Our passions are shaped through suffering. This is why some people come back from war and they can't wait to go back because in that foxhole with their platoon, with their friends, they were, they were sharpening each other and they were, they were on a mission and they were accomplishing it together. They went through such a unique, shared experience of suffering today. This is what strengthened the church in the first century. They didn't have it easy. They were being thrown to the lions. 
but yet they stood strong with each other. See, it wasn't the comfort, it wasn't the lights, it wasn't the ability to go back there and turn on the air conditioning. You know, we get a little warm, Ah, I don't know if I want to go back, it was really hot there. Right? Um, It's not the lights, it was the running for your life. It was the, hey, did you hear about Joe? They fed him to the lions last week. That's how the message made it to us. You see, it's what grows a basketball team or a hockey team. And and in the sports world, they, they call it adversity. Right? We really went through some adversity together. But when that team pushes through and stays together through that adversity, no matter what it is, maybe it's injuries, maybe it's a difficult team to play, maybe it's, maybe it's some drama that comes up, but they stick together and they work through it and they get to the end, they're that much stronger, they're, they're that much uh, more closer as a team in the end. Moms and dads, you want your children to grow up strong in maturity, right? We want them to succeed in life. Well, it won't happen if we, if you, if we are spiritual, spiritually apathetic. So how do you fight diabetes? Diet and exercise. You fight diabetes with diet and exercise. Well, we also fight spiritual apathy and complacency with diet and exercise. Here's a quote from one of the leading New Testament scholars of today. His name is D.A. Carson. This is what he says. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Wow. I mean, that's so true, isn't it? That's the sermon for today. That, that we drift toward apathy naturally. We, we will not drift towards godliness and, and a disciplined life and a holier version of ourselves. It will not happen. If we put on the cruise control and we just let go, it won't happen. Especially in a world where, where the enemy is trying to do everything he can to hurt us away and convince us that we, it's okay to live comfortably with our sin, with our respectable and acceptable sin. Which begs the question, what is God's role and what is our role? Uh, because we're saved by grace through faith, right? This is an act of God on our behalf. He calls us. He saves us. He did what had to be done in order to save us. His Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. We are really, in and of ourselves, our own personal selves, we don't have the power to do that. We can't succeed by ourselves. 
The Holy Spirit sanctifying us is a work of grace. But our responsibility isn't absent when it comes to our sanctification. We have a role to play in that. We have a role to play in that. You have a role to play in that. We discipline ourselves for godliness. Discipline means that, that we can't do what we feel like doing. We can't just do whatever feels good and grow godly. For us to grow godly, there will be things that we can't do and things that we must do that we don't want to do. Uncomfortable things. Things that stretch us. Things that, that don't feel right. Like when you're reading your Bible and you say, I just don't get it. I've, I've been reading this over and over and I don't understand it. And you just, you just decide, well, forget it. And you just put it aside and you don't pick it up again. You know, I mean, uh, or, or, or you really want to get in shape. And so you get that elliptical and you, and you, you, you subscribe to the iFit thing and you start exercising regularly, but then it gets, it gets kind of hard. You know, your schedule is busy and, and the, at first, you know, when you first got that thing, it was a big rock, but that big rock eventually got taken out and kind of set aside. And then, and then, you know, then you start hanging clothes on it, right? And it gets dusty and then the, the room gets cluttered around it and then it's not easy to access it and you're like, you know what, I, I just, it's just too much work. And we become apathetic about our health. And that begins to feed in to other areas of our daily life. Or we go out and we, we run or we exercise and we're like, man, that really made me sore. Nope, done with that. You know, I don't enjoy it, but we can't make decisions in our life based on feeling like it. We really can't. Uh, we can't, and, and yet, <laughs> yet just going with the flow will not make us more godly, will not make us more uh, spiritual or, or make us a, a better, holy, holier version than ourselves. We can't do nothing and expect good to happen. Uh, we can't think in our minds, I'm busy or my priorities are wrong or I've lived such an entitled life and then do nothing to change it. That's been my fear here in the last two or three weeks. I hear lots of people saying, man, that was really challenging. I know I'm super busy. Well, man, I really know I'm, I'm titled, entitled. But the question is for us today is, do you care enough to make some hard decisions in your life? Because if you don't, you just wasted three hours for two Sundays to come and listen. You, you, we've got to make some hard decisions. And if we don't, then, then we fall into the realm of apathy. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, train yourself to be godly. That train word is an active word. For physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Not just good for us here, but saving up treasures in heaven. Physical training is important. It is. We need to be concerned about that. But, but even higher on the priority than that is 
how we discipline ourselves for godliness. Now, now I want us all to live the Christian life, and, and there's many of us that, that aren't. We're, we're slowly dying, and we don't even recognize it. So answer this question for yourself. Spiritual, spiritually speaking, what are you feasting on, and how are you exercising your faith? Now, our passage this morning is Hebrews chapter 5, if you would please turn there. The, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who were attempting to return to the traditions that they grew up in. They're being drawn back to their Judaism. They're being drawn back to their Old Testament traditions. They're being drawn back to what the Pharisees say you have to do. And, and this is important for us because one of the things that can hold us back is the traditions that we were born and raised in ourselves. For the longest time, I went through life thinking everything that I, that I was taught um, in, in my home church and in the family that I grew up in was absolute truth. That, that I didn't need to investigate any of it. That's not true. We can all have things in our life that we just believe because we were taught that, not because it's actually the truth and it's supported in Scripture. We must constantly go here. We need to discern as we look into the Bible what our upbringing was biblically informed and of God and is consistent with the scriptures. Because some of those things you may be holding on to and, and even, even it, it may even be divisive in your fellowship with others and it, it's really unbiblical, it's really not true. So, um, that's what they were struggling with. What aspect of this tradition that we are following was given to us by men? And what of it, what of it was given to us by God? Hebrews 5, verse 11. Uh, the author of Hebrews says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Ouch. Right? Um, some would just read that and go, well, I'm not reading that. Don't want to hear what he has to say if he's going to be that nasty about it. Um, but there's clearly a transitioning happening here. When he says much to say about this, he's actually talking about Jesus as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And I would love to uh, say much more about that this morning. At the basic level, Jesus is our high priest. He is our only mediator. Uh, there is no one else on the planet that we have to go to in order to talk to God. Jesus is the one. He is our high priest. And, and to have a bunch of people who were raised in Judaism their entire life and for generations, um, this is a drastic change for them, but it is the truth. They're trying to go back to those other ways because that's what they're comfortable with. That's what they know, but that's not the truth. That's not what was right. Uh, he comes back to this, this topic in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10 and then sp spends about three chapters on doing it. So, so he's not lying. He has a lot to say about that subject, but we're not going to go into that subject 
this morning. Let's go on. Verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food, exclamation point. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. They trained themselves for godliness. It seems to me like the progression of a believer is this. Be fed, be taught... And then feed and teach for every one of us, not just for the apostles, not just for those who who have those gifts or who have have been put into formal, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, into a a formal place. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 says it this way, and the things you have heard, heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. I mean, we should be growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we grow, then we too should be teaching those who come after us. First, you come into faith, saved by grace through faith. Then you grow as a disciple. And, an, and inherent in that word disciple is to follow the one that, who you're following. And the one who we're following is Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus Christ do? What did he teach the disciples? From the very beginning, the first words out of his mouth were what? I'm going to make you fishers of men. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. It wasn't come, follow me, believe, be saved, and live a happy life. It was come, believe these things, be saved, and then teach and lead other people to also follow and love and live. It's the Christian process. Anything else is counterfeit to the Christian process. We need to fight that tendency. So first of all, we fight apathy by growing as a disciple. By growing as a disciple, and a disciple is what I just explained. One who follows to the point of making disciples him or herself. It's inherent in the word. Uh, Jonathan uh, Pakluda, the pastor of Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas, gives this example. He says this, this is the picture that he's painting, the writer of Hebrews. It is, it's the Christian multi-level marketing. Um, you have, I mean, you're familiar with this, right? Uh, anybody know anything about Amway? Anybody not ever hear the word Amway? I mean, yes, okay, right? I figured younger. Well, um, how about Arbon or Monet? I'm unfamiliar with those. Uh, Mary Kay, Herbalife, okay? Th- these are, these are multi-marketing big companies, and, uh, and so here's, here, I'm not bashing them, okay? Don't, don't go there. But here's the thing. The, these, are, are, uh, these are things that you really end up benefiting from first. Okay, so you, you, you are like, wow, I bought into this and it has had an, in, in a tremendous impact on my life in whatever aspect that is. You know, it, how you look, how you feel, all, all of those different things. 
And, and what happens is then you use your testimony because you were able to get that product at a discounted price in order to, to, to join the company and then to, to, to make money selling it to other people. You get that at a, at a discounted price and you use it and it changes your life in whatever aspect of your life it is. Then when you go to try and sell that to somebody else, you're like, wow, I used this and this is exactly what it is. This is what it did for me. It could do the same thing for you, right? You, you never knew that you were going to be an expert on, you know, like health and wellness, but all of a sudden, you are. You've become enlightened to it because it changed your life. You see, that's what should happen in the church, right? Right? We experience Jesus and our life is changed and we can't wait to tell the next person about it. Because we know how much it has benefited us and, and what's happening in our life. But, but too often this isn't the case. Too often our lives are no, no different than the atheist who lives across the street. Uh, if, if we were to compare our lives, they are really, really similar. We like the same things. We do the same things. We have similar interests. Uh, maybe even similar values. The difference is on a Sunday morning, we carve out a couple hours to go, go, to, go to church and sing some songs and read in this ancient book, right? And then we go on with our atheistic living during the week, not looking any different than the guy that lives across the street who doesn't believe. So, so when we sit with somebody and we say, hey, Jesus really changed my life, they're sub subconsciously going, I'm not sure he did, because your life doesn't really seem any different than mine. I mean, I just don't see it. So we probably then don't say anything at all, because then that would be hard. And we become apathetic about sharing our faith with other people, because we're unconvincing. Because <laughs> are we really convinced ourselves? that our life is different and that it's changed and are, are we living as if our life is different and it's changed? Our lives have been changed by Jesus and we grow in his word. We tell others about Jesus and we teach them his word. And, and another question to ask is, where are you in that process? Where are you in the process of growing as a disciple? And then follow that question with this one. How long have you been there? How long have you been at that point? The writer of Hebrews, I mean, he's fired up and he's calling us out. He's, he's saying, you are stuck in the elementary teachings. You need to grow. Hebrews chapter six, verses one through three. It's up, gonna be up here on the screen or you can just look at the next chapter. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. He's saying, you know what? You're stuck at the basics. The basics are good when you're young, when you're first just starting out. It's time to grow up. 
when are we going to start taking the Bible seriously and let it change us, let it impact our life on a daily basis? What many do today is they, they actually go to church to be entertained. Uh, we should never, ever go to church to be entertained. Now, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying what happens at church shouldn't make us ever laugh or shouldn't ever be funny or shouldn't ever be interesting. I mean, I try my best to keep you all awake on a Sunday morning. Okay, I, I try hard not to, to bore you, but if the only reason you come to church is because you like it and it, make, and it makes you feel good, or it's comfortable and you really enjoy it, then, then really you're looking for the wrong things. We have to resist the desire to be entertained on a Sunday morning. We have to wake up from that it, it, because it's killing us. It, it doesn't challenge us to grow in discipleship, which is why I'm, I've been so sort of, honestly, as I've talked to people, giddy about this series. We title it Sin, and, 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 and many of you keep coming back. Shows me that you're willing to at least hear the challenge. The question is, and it will, be, it, it will work itself out in our life over the next months and year, did it make a difference? A guy comes home from the gym and his wife asks him, hey, how was your workout today? And he says, man, it was so great. There was this guy, he got stuck under the, the bench press. And he, he couldn't get the bar up and, and he, had to let the, he had to let the plates fall off onto the floor and it made this really loud noise and everybody looked at him and, and you know, we all laughed. It was hilarious. I, I thought about helping him, but I just, you know, it was just too funny. She says, uh, and then he says, and then I watched a spin class. She says, you watched a spin class? He's like, yeah, yeah, I watched the spin class. They were sitting there on their bike and they're just going and then they're standing up and then they're going and then they're standing up and, and, and the trainer was just saying really, really, really encouraging things. I mean, it was, it was just so great to watch. She was really good. You, you could tell that the people were giving it their all. I was super entertained. But I don't really feel like it's working, if I'm honest. I don't feel any more in any more shape today than before I went to work out. I don't feel any changes in, in my body, but I'm loving it. Silly, huh? This is how the enemy wants us to think about church, to want to be entertained, but we can't afford to be apathetic about it. We can't. We need to band together as a team, as an army of people with our arms locked together, pushing back the darkness. Let's build the kingdom. Let's be the light. Let's grow in our faith and use it on a daily basis, not for our own benefit, but to impact the world. So what's holding us back? What's holding you back? Wherever we are in our spiritual journey, we need to submit to and we need to ask someone more mature than us to come alongside of us and to teach us. Someone who can help us apply God's word to our lives, how to make biblical decisions, how to lead our families, 
how to be a good husband and good father. We need daily training. And, and we then do the same for someone else who is younger than us, not necessarily in age, but in spiritual maturity. Our church family needs leaders. We need leaders to lead Bible study groups. We need leaders to serve on teams. We need leaders who, who are willing to uh, be raised up to be elders and women's ministry team leaders. We need leaders to rally us to pray for and support our missionaries. We, we have a missionary uh, team and 20%, 22% of everything that you give in a general offering goes to missions. It doesn't stay here. 22% of all of our giving goes to missions. And we have a team of people that administrate that. They, 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 they listen to missionaries who have a passion about going to another country or to another place in the United States. And, and they make decisions on how to, how to use that, the money, that 22% that we give to support them. Uh, big decisions. We need people to be a part of that team who direct that money to support God's mission all over the world. We need prayer group leaders. We need ministry, uh, men's ministry team leaders. The health of the church depends on all of us growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We simply can't stay where we are. We will not grow healthy as a church. We will get diabetes as a church and die. Verse 12, you need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. He's saying that an infant that relies on milk and milk only will remain an infant. There's a relationship between what we take in and how we grow. You know, a, a, a growing child that is only given milk is not going to be a healthy child. We, we, we work them into solid food. So what we feast on determines how we grow and what we grow into. So number two, we fight apathy with a steady diet of God's word. Uh, without bringing too many mental images, I, and I know there are many opinions on this subject, but, and, and don't answer this out loud. Maybe in your mind you can answer it. What is the appropriate age to wean a child off of breastfeeding? Think to yourself, what would be an appropriate age, right? The cover of time, and I'm not going to show it to you. You may not even want to look it up because it just brings this terrible image to mind. The cover of Time Magazine in 2012 had a picture of a mom and what looks to me like a four-year-old child standing next to her having breakfast. And it wasn't bacon and eggs. Okay? I mean, that's a pretty awkward thing to think about, right? I want you to picture it, but I don't want you to picture it. Um, we need to understand that this is exactly where the, the writer of Hebrews is. You know, when he says that, that, that you're stuck drinking milk, I don't think he's talking about going to the store, grabbing a gallon of jug of milk and, and pouring it into a baby bottle. I don't think that's the image that he's trying to conjure up at all. Look, it... It would be pretty bizarre if there was a 22-year-old still nursing, wouldn't it? Is it possible that it could be just as bizarre if there is someone who has been in the faith for 22 years and they're still drinking milk? Wow, that's what he's talking about. 
I don't, I don't care how old in the faith you are. Don't get stuck where you are. We're not to be stuck there. It's kind of a pithy saying, but we always say, you know, that, that, that God always meets you where you're at. But he won't leave you where you are. Look, don't get me wrong. I, I think the daily bread is great. Okay, but if you've been in the faith for 22 years and your only source of spiritual growth is reading the daily bread every morning and you never even crack your Bible, you're stuck. You're stuck. Look, in, if you're in year one and you don't know how to have a devotional time, the daily bread is great. It gives you a schedule. You follow by days. It gives you some of the word of God and a way to think about it throughout the course of the day. But that's, if that's where you stop, then you're stuck drinking milk. We have to grow. You see, the more we read and learn and apply as we live, the more we mature and are impacted. Look, this series as we've been going, I was sitting on this stage on a, here Thursday night for our prayer thing and as Pastor Brandon is going through the, the adoration and confession and thanksgiving and, and supplication uh, in our concert of prayer Thursday night, every, it was like everything, every, every section that he talked about, the Holy Spirit brought to mind something that we talked about last week or the week before or six months ago. See, that's what happens when we, when we begin to grow. It all gets interconnected. It all makes sense. It all supports us and encourages us on a daily and, and weekly basis. Now, I'm no expert, but because of what God has been teaching me lately, I, I just, it just feels like I've been eating some solid food, and man, does it feel good. It feels good. And I want you to join me. I mean, I've been on a journey along with many of you for many, many years. And, and many of you can say, yeah, boy, he was, pretty, he was pretty wet behind the years 29 years ago. In fact, some of those years I'd just really like to forget. Right? Gail Carnahan, I see you laughing right here. No, you're not sorry. I know. You know. Right? Look, if I was where I was today, where I was 29 years ago, I wouldn't be where I am today. It's only because, not always willingly, but God has been teaching me and shaping me and forming me and molding me and growing me. And I'm not the same as I was 29 years ago. And, and, and though I could have been just as useful in his hands in those days, he's using me in different ways today, in more mature ways. And we all need to recognize that that is the trajectory that we need to be living our spiritual life on. It needs to be going like this, not like this, because if we think it's going like this, it's really going like this. We've got to fight apathy. And maybe, you know, maybe you think that one sermon a week is enough. It's not. One sermon a week is in addition to belonging to a church that teaches the Bible and going through a, 
through life in a group of believing Christians and, and sharing our faith regularly and reading and studying the Bible daily for ourselves, spending time in prayer, teaching others, serving, using the gifts that God has given us. And you might say, wow, that's a lot. And I say, yes, it is a lot. But guess what? Those are the big rocks. And if those are a priority and if in our life, they will all be in our life and all the rest of the stuff, there will, there will be room for it if we get the right rocks in first. Now, don't get frustrated if your growth seems slow because oftentimes it is. You know, I was going to use a tree example, but instead I'm going to use a pig example. Um, maybe I've, ah, I think I've used a pig example before. Let me use a tree example. You plant an oak sapling Okay, a year later you come back and you take a picture of it, not much change. You know, a year back you come and take a picture of it, not much change. You come back 10 years or 20 years later and take a picture of it, a lot has changed. See, what's happening in those first years is the growth wasn't up here, it was under here. And that oak tree was sending down a big, vast network of roots for it to not just draw nutrition from so that it could grow, but for strength. So when the Wyoming wind blew, it could stand against it. You see, that's where we, how we need to think of our spiritual life. It takes time. Yes, it does. But as we invest in that, as we surrender to the Holy Spirit to teach us, and then we begin to teach others, um, our, there is this incredible root system that, that's being grown. Verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, many of us are, are, more, are more like a spruce tree than an oak tree. You know, spruce trees grow big and tall and they're very beautiful. And I'm, I've been amazed that some of them that are around my home, not right next to it, but near me, have withstood the winds that they have. Because if you know anything about spruce trees, you know that they have a very, very shallow root system. They don't go very deep. They spend all of their time growing up here. They look really beautiful, but they can't stand up to the storms. Jesus taught that to the Pharisees all the time, right? Oh, you guys dress up the outside, right? That's not what's important. It's what's happening in your life. We need to learn the word of God. I'm going to skip all the rest that I got written down here. Number three. We need to fight apathy by exercising our faith. We need to exercise. You know, whenever you, when you go to a person and they're like, oh yeah, man, that's really difficult. Let's see what it says in 1 Corinthians about that. Or, or you ask them a question and they're like, hey, I think, I think the book of Judges speaks about that. And you're like, wow, you got the whole Bible memorized or what? No, it's just been a process of, of, of living and learning and living and learning. And they're able to point you with wisdom a great friend that pushes us deeper in our relationship with Christ. Now, here's the thing. Every one of us can be that friend to someone else. I've heard fathers say, oh, I don't even, I don't know how to lead my kids spiritually. Well, you know what? It's your God-given responsibility. You can go on with your life apathetically the way that you are, or you can, you can make the hard decision to figure it out. Talk to somebody who did and, 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 and have them pray for you and encourage you on a weekly basis so that you, you can train up your children so that one day they won't depart from it. 
You struggle with drinking, you struggle with gossiping, you just can't stop it. Alcohol, look, you're given over to nicotine, you're stuck in it, you're addicted, you say you can't stop. Listen, here's how that battle can be won. First, you need to start feasting on God's word. You need to write it on your heart. Now, I'm oversimplifying that for for time this morning, but if we don't start there, we're failing already. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look, this is how you distinguish what is right from wrong, by applying and living out God's word. Now, I want to be clear here. You cannot work for your salvation. You might be new and you've never heard me say that before. You can't work your salvation. Our salvation comes through Jesus Christ. It is a gift from God. He died for our sins. God raised him from the dead. He paid the price. And a heavy price it was. And we are justified by our faith. We are made righteous because of Christ's work, not because of the work that we do. Okay? But we can work from our salvation. Saving up treasures in heaven. Jerry Bridges describes it this way in Respectable Sins. There is a fundamental principle of the Christian life. He calls it dependent responsibility. That is, we are responsible before God to obey his word, to put to death the sins in our lives, both the so-called acceptable sins and the obviously not acceptable ones. At the same time, we do not have the ability within ourselves to carry out this responsibility. We are, in fact, totally dependent upon the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. In this sense, we are both responsible and dependent, but we must plug into the power of the Holy Spirit. We must surrender to that. And if we do not begin to grow in our faith, one of two things is going to happen at the end of your life. Number one, you're going to go to hell. You're you're going to wake up to the realization that you are eternally separated from God because you thought you were doing the right things. You, You were deceived. You deceived yourself and you were deceived by the enemy that going to church faithfully is what saved you. By by doing enough good things is what saved you. That that you didn't really need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're gonna find that you didn't. Another a second thing that that can happen if we don't begin to grow in our faith is that we're going to look back and we're going to realize that God in his grace and mercy saved us and then we did nothing. Nothing of eternal value. Nothing that lasted past this life. And that we embraced a false aversion of Christianity and when we get to heaven, our treasury is empty. So we fight apathy by progressing in discipleship. We fight apathy by feeding our faith. And we fight apathy by exercising our faith. Let me say that again. We fight apathy by growing as a disciple. We fight apathy with a steady diet of God's word. And we fight apathy by exercising our faith. So let's 
fight apathy. Let's stand and close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for how you challenge me and you're challenging us through this series. And Father, I pray that today as we sit here and, and, and every day as we, we, uh, we just continue to, to learn things about ourselves that, that we just hadn't taken the time to think about. And some of them, they're just really not very pretty. And the enemy wants to really discourage us. But, but your word says that, 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 that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want you to remind us of that this morning. But in being reminded of that this morning, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would fill us and move in us so that we might not just be comfortable with knowing that we have a problem. Because that will certainly end in death. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will help us to take a step, a small step, a big step in establishing priorities in our life and, and in, in being grateful for all the amazing things that you give us and that you've provided for us in this country and in this place. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be willing to Step into the uncomfortable. Be willing to, to submit ourselves to the struggle that we might grow. Know right from wrong. Choose right. And then proclaim, to be able to proclaim that good news to, the, to our neighbors and our friends that they might be changed just like we are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for our moms. Lord, I pray that you'd give my mom a hug today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week. We'll see you next week.